Welcome to Kino Society with Owen Shapiro. In today's episode, we have Alan Jacobson, a director of photography who photographs narrative and documentary projects with an authentic, natural eye and sensitive curiosity. He's also lends worn stories for Netflix, a docu-series of fascinating and quirky stories of real people and the stories behind their most meaningful pieces of clothing. Welcome to Kino Society, Alan. Thanks, Owen. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So what's made you want to break into the film industry? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I oh, I think if I'm honest about it, I've, I was first kind of enraptured with the magic of light. I was always, I now realize that as a kid, I was always kind of fascinated by light, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed playing with light and I had all the kind of every flashlight I could get my hand on in the darkened garage as a kid. And there was something just kind of about the magic of the way the magic of light and color and um, shapes and forms. And um, so that was kind of my first hook. And, you know, that led into some photography. I had a we had an early uh, uh, VHS video camera in the house and I would, you know, mess around with that and play with uh, feedback and and um, kind of more abstract stuff, just always kind of exploring color and, and light like that. So that was kind of my hook. And so, um, and then I got a, then I was in high school and I thought, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of think of something to study and something to do with your life. So I thought, well, I was, maybe I'll be an engineer or an architect or something. So I was kind of thinking on that, on that mode in terms of design. And, um, you know, I always kind of liked, um, you know, form and, and uh, shape and things like that. So I, I, I guess I went through most of the high school thing and that would be my jam. And so I was taking a lot of science classes and math and stuff like that. And then kind of at the last minute when I, when it was time to pick colleges, I, I had this real epiphany. Well, actually I, I'm skipping a bit. One of the most magic things that happened is I, when I was still in junior high, I think I went to a summer camp and it was a summer camp at the local university. And it was basically, it was a summer camp, but as part of the camp, you could take um, classes and they had a catalog of classes and they were kind of like college classes, things that you, we didn't have in high school or in junior high at the time. They had like pottery and painting and things like that. And I had filled up my schedule, but I had one, I had one class slot left that I needed to fill. And I was looking through the catalog with my mom and she was like, oh, here's something that you might like. It's called television production. And I was like, what's television production? She's like, well, I think that's where you learn how to make TV. And I was like, wait, make TV? Like people, people make TV. I just hadn't really considered it before, but you know, I'd been, I'd made movies with my friends on the video camera and, and I'd always been interested in it. And so, so I put that class on and then showed up at the camp and, and sure enough, it was a, it was a class, a production class in like the, the university uh, television studio. And there were the cameras and the boom microphones and the lights and the sets and the, all that stuff. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is that this is great. It was super. Uh, I was just into all of that stuff. So so I kind of did an about face at the last minute in high school. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to try to see if I could do this film thing as a as a as a thing. So I applied to film school and um uh, got into a couple schools and went out to NYU uh, in New York and um, yeah, just started as soon as I got there. I thought like, okay, these are my people, you know, this is my, these are my stories. This is what I can really do. And the, although I did take a minor in architecture and urban studies, um, which I'm 
which I'm grateful for, but it quickly it became pretty apparent that I, I had the film bug. So that's kind of how it got me in there. And then, and then my interest in lighting was always very, very valuable um, in film. And I, and that kind of helped push me into the cinematography track. And, uh, and then after I got out of school, you know, kind of to get to start paying my loans back right away, I started working as a gaffer in the electrical, in the, in the lighting department. And so I did that for a number of years, working for some of the, you know, best DPs in New York at the time, do a lot of indie uh, Sundancey kind of movies in the 90s. And um, so that was a great education and, and just really being able to craft light and, you know, see how other people crafted light and um, really kind of learn, you know, learn how the, how how light can affect storytelling and, and character and all of that. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the weird circuitous way that I got here. And it kind of leads to where I'm at now because I, you know, I was in New York and I was doing these these indie movies and they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger crews and bigger productions. And I was, uh, you know, and I was really good at lighting and I really enjoyed it, but I thought, well, I, you know, I want to be, I want to make sure I'm shooting. Um, so I had to make a pretty conscious pivot to stop doing lighting and try to get back into, uh, to shooting. And I wanted to get away from, I'd gotten to the point with in my lighting work that I was on, you know, pretty big productions where, you know, you'd have big trucks full of equipment and big crews. And I was doing a lot of management rather than actual lighting, you know, running a crew and ordering equipment and logistics. So I thought I'm going to make a pivot into documentary to get back in touch with my like spontaneity and instinct and, you know, just really kind of get back to a pure sense of like, what, what does it mean to, to frame an image and to um, move the camera um, so that's, that kind of pivoted me into docs and it's just been a wonderful ride since then, because I get to, I get to bring all of my lighting knowledge into documentary, which sounds kind of odd because oftentimes there's not a lot of lighting being done in documentary, but the awareness of light and the placement of light is really important in documentary, but just by where you're often lighting, just by positioning where you're going to stand in the room and where, you know, where you're going to frame people, what kind of background against, and, and that kind of crafting the lighting and the shape of the image that way has been really valuable to me in the, in the dock work. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting kind of uh, route, I think, but uh, one I'm really grateful for. So how much do you think that your experience in architecture help your cinematography? It helps me appreciate, uh, you know, form and shape and um, balance and symmetry. I'm, I, I really do tend to have an affinity for symmetry and um you know and balance in the frame it's something that a lot of my a lot of my scenic work will you know or b-roll stuff i i try to even in other scenes there's a lot of power in framing the architecture of a space so yeah i, I think a lot of that study is kind of just innate in in the kind of visual the the visual alphabet that i have and i i'm always surprised when it kind of pops up and and I've worked with a couple of directors that have a bit of architecture background or appreciation. And sometimes it's really fun when you can refer to shots by, uh, you know, oh, this is a uh, this is a Mies van der Rohe uh, setup right here. Or this is a this is a brutalist kind of composition. It's kind of fun to use those. And there, I think there's a lot of crossover between architecture in, in terms of built space. You know, I think a lot of great architecture is very cinematic in the way of 
the way architects think about how you move through a space and how how a how a you know a hallway will open up into a larger room. It's a, it's kind of like editing in a way where you're it's you're creating a sequences a sequence of views throughout a space. And I think really interestingly, you know, filming architecture is a really really wonderful thing, and I've been lucky to do some of that. I mean, I could just, I could film architecture all day long with a camera because I just feel like it's a beautiful dance between the frame and the built room. And, you know, a great location is just a wonderful, it's just a wonderful gift for a cinematographer because you're always going to be finding, you know, wonderful ways to to add to the context of the story through through the through the built environment. So, yeah, I think they're really closely linked and I've run into a number of cinematographers that have a kind of a similar background of the built world it's there was a conversation recently in one of my groups where people were saying I think because of the pandemic like oh you know what would you be doing if you if this film thing doesn't work out what would you do and there was a I was shocked that there was a really high number of DPs that said oh I'd you know if I couldn't do this I'll I'll be an architect or I'll be a I'll be an engineer or you know and I thought that was that made a lot of sense to me there's also a very curiously there's also a very very high correlation between cinematography and drumming <laughs> people who played the drums I've, I've noticed that for some reason ask if you meet a cinematographer ask them if they've ever played the drums and you know it's probably pretty good chance they have it's at least 80 percent, at least in my research so why do you think that the drums are important i don't know if they are but it's uh you know maybe something about rhythm and and um structure and I don't know. It's probably just a coincidence, but I like to think it's like a grand, it's a grand design somehow. Yeah. And you also mentioned how lighting works in documentaries, but how does that differ from narrative films? Well, uh, you know, I think ideally it doesn't differ all that much because you're, you're still, you're trying to do the same thing with light um, in terms of, you know, creating a mood or a feeling that supports the story. It's just a little, easier to do that in a narrative or a you know a produced piece because you can control the you can control things you can control the environment you can control the set you can control the time of day um, but in documentary ideally you're still doing all those things you just have to do it you have to be a little bit more crafty about it and you know a lot of it is um, you have to take what's there in the space and and use that to your advantage or, or your disadvantage. So yeah, I try to I try to think about it in the same way that you know, like if I was all right, I have to do a scene in this, you know, um, you know, do a documentary scene in the, in this house in this kitchen. Like if I was if this was a feature film, how would I want this to look? You know, how would I, what what's going on here in the story? And I worked actually for a really great director, Marshall Curry. We did a bunch of a number of feature documentaries together and he had a great he had a great technique where um you know he he says think about the scene that you're going into and think about the documentary scene that you're going into as if it were a narrative scene and as if you could write it how would you script it and that was a really great thing we used to we you know we'd we'd be going on a shoot and we'd be driving to set and we'd talk about okay you know we're going over to the house and we're going to film the family having dinner now, if this was a scripted film, what would happen? You know, what would what would this scene be about? And we'd say, well, you know, if this was a script, um, you know, we'd hope that you know the dad's gonna, dad, you know, the the estranged father's gonna show up, and you know, the son's finally gonna get some heart to heart, and you know, or maybe realize that dad, you know, cares about him after all. Now, we know that's not really gonna happen because 
you know, maybe dad's not even going to be there or whatever. It's just, you know, you, you can't write that stuff. So, but having thought about what we would like to happen and what, you know, what dramatically and emotionally our subjects want to happen, then that gives you this great background to be in the room and respond to that. Even if it doesn't happen that way, you you know that that's, that's the back, that's the underlying kind of backstory and that's the tension in the room. So then, you know, the camera can respond to that. So I try to do the same thing with lighting. And I think like, okay, well, what would this, what would this scene want to look like if we were, you know, if we were scripting it? Well, it's, you know, there's, this is a bit of a prodigal son scene and, you know, you know, will dad come back or, you know, will they, will they get to the truth? So, you know, there's going to be a little bit of, you know, there's going to be some, there's some shadows in the room. There's some ghosts in the room or something that we're going to be trying to, to, to show subtly. So, you know, I might say, well, this is a good scene that, you know, we're going to keep it dark and moody. You know, we're going to leave their cooking in the dining room, but they never turn the, for some reason, they never turn the dining room light on and all the light is coming from the kitchen and it's kind of shadowy and moody and it's a little darker than it normally would be. It's not just going to be an, a bright dining room scene. So, you know, I might think about something like that in conjunction with this, this bigger story that we hope. And then, you know, when we show up at the location, with that awareness or that thought process having happened, you know, it might just be a simple thing of like, oh, let's just, I'll just, I'll just turn off that dining room light or I'll turn on the one in the kitchen or I'll close the blinds in the living room. So there's not so much coming in or, or I'll open them or whatever's, whatever there, whatever the pieces there that the world presents to you, you can use those to kind of support the, the, the emotional lighting plan that you, that you've thought about. So in that way, I think they're similar, um, but of course, it's just there's just much less control you have on on documentaries. So, I find it really exciting. I think it's really great. It's very seat of your pants. Um, you know, when I was when I was gaffing big movies, you know, we could do you could do whatever you want. You can shoot a you can shoot a daytime scene in the middle of the night. You know, you can take a you can make a sunset you could make a sunset scene that never ends. You know, you block out the real sun, and you put a big big bright light coming in the window and it's it's sunset for nine hours you can't do that in documentary but you can still embrace those ideas and try to capture them as they happen so i think it's really exciting so what's an average work day like for you well it really depends but um you know i joke that i think the film business is the only industry that we're fighting for a 12-hour day to be the normal you know i think it's in any other industry if you work 12 hours you're you're you've already worked four hours of overtime but in the film business it's um only working a 12-hour day is kind of a special thing um it so the hours can be really intense but um you know when you're doing a documentary it's for a good reason you're spending as many hours as it takes to get to help the story come out and a lot of times it's you're kind of, you're waiting for those right moments. You're waiting for people to get comfortable. You know, you're, you're, you're spending time connecting with people with, with the cameras not even rolling, you know, just to kind of create that sense of trust and, and intimacy, which is so important in documentary. And all that just takes time. So it, it really takes time. So, but a typical day, you know, if you're like me and you want to, and you want to catch that beautiful natural light you're you're going to want to get up as early as possible before sunrise so that you can be ready to shoot something for sunrise and then you're going to go 
straight into something else and then something else and then you're probably and then you're going to want to get that good sunset again and then there's beautiful stuff to be had you know at twilight and in the evening you know when the street lights come on or the houses warm up with lights inside so for a cinematographer the the day is 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 a really fantastic palette of of looks so i i'm i'm always trying to be ready i try to pace myself so i'm always ready to you know, shoot as long as, as possible. And sometimes on a documentary, you can take some time off in the middle of the day when the light is not as great, you know, the middle of the day when the sun is high, it's not that pleasant for any kind of exterior stuff. So, um, and then sometimes, you know, your subjects need a break. And so you know, sometimes you can have a break in the middle of the day, but generally the, the, the early morning and the, the end of the day are, are some of the nicest times to be working. So yeah, it makes for a long day, but I find that if you're, you know, if you're doing something that you love, that comes really easy, you know, and it's easy, it's easy to get out of bed if, if you're really excited about your day. So yeah, I try to be open to that. It's, it, it, but it is important to pace yourself and, and to kind of create some boundaries, but. What's your favorite project out of everything you've worked on? I don't know. I've been lucky to have so many great um, moments and projects and, especially in documentary, there's such magic that, that you get to be a part of, you know, and um, connecting with, connecting with real people who are, you know, who have real stories and real drama. And it's really great. I don't know. There's been, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of great things. I, I worked for seven years on a film called Strong Island. We, I just, uh, the, the filmmaker Yancey Ford and I, you know, really just, for many, many of those years, it was just the two of us um, working very closely, very intimately. And so that was just, um, and it was a family story about Yancey's family. So I got really close with the family and, you know, it just became a really important and intimate process. So that, that was probably the most kind of impactful just because it was also seven years when, you know, I was having a family and our, our families were growing up together. And, um, uh, and then the film, uh, you know, the film was, we put a lot into it. So the film was really, really good and got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people were able to see it. Um, so that was very gratifying. So that project has a lot of, it holds a lot of, um, it's a very dear project to me, but I worked for, I worked for years with Anthony Bourdain, the travel chef and the writer. And we went all over the world with, with, with Tony and um, had some great adventures there. So that those trips are very special and bittersweet. Um, since we lost him and um, yeah, it's just, it's been a, it's been, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful way to, to meet people and see the world, you know, with a, with a camera by your side. So it's, it's very, it's very, very lucky. And some of the new projects, I just did this project for Netflix, done two projects in a row for Netflix. And, you know, it's just, it's wonderful. You meet, you meet the best, most interesting people and, you know, you hopefully tell their story effectively and it's just a lot of fun. It's really great. Um, outside of your own work, do you have any favorite movies or directors? Sure. Yeah. Um, boy, it's a hard one to answer. I've really, you know, I guess because of my my work is very much kind of on the in the border of documentary and narrative. I, I like a lot of directors that are kind of working at that in that kind of messy in between a place. So I've always liked like I've always liked Roger uh, Robert Altman. Nashville is one of my favorite films. It's just an amazing kind of pastiche of characters and situations and 
you know, it's it's loose in this very kind of haphazard way that I really like. Uh, Medium Cool is another film that I really, really love. Haskell Wexler's great 1969 film. That is, that's very much this very pure documentary narrative hybrid, famously. And so that's very inspiring to me. But I don't know, my favorite film might be, right now, my favorite film might be Being There, Hal Ashby's film with Peter Sellers. It's just a just an amazingly subtle and restrained, gorgeous film. Yeah, I, those are some. Those are those are definitely in my top ten. I'm also a big fan of Koyaanisqatsi, which I grew up on in college. That's kind of a, that's kind of like a, that's crack for cinematographers. You know, just a purely visual film. No other. You know, just relying so much on imagery and and editing and music. That's I really love that. It's like pure cinema to me. So. Yeah, those are some big influences. Koyana Scotsi, I absolutely love that movie, especially the soundtrack. It's actually one of my favorite soundtracks and movies. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I sometimes, I sometimes will put that soundtrack on while I'm shooting sometimes because it's a great, like if I'm out doing B-roll for something that has that kind of feeling to it, I'll, I'll like to sometimes listen to listen to inspiring music that um, has the, you know, as, as I'm trying to, as I'm making images, it's really great. And it also reminds me to like make it count, you know, make these shots really good because, you know, that's, that's what that film's all about. Just really um, being intentional in, in, in each shot and trying to make, make everything count. Oh, what do you think about the other two uh, Katsi movies, the sequels to Kuyana's Katsi? I like them. I think I probably like the soundtracks more than the films. I think uh, the second one is great visually. And I think the soundtrack of that or the, you know, the music in that is really fantastic. There was something very pure and just so groundbreaking about the first one that it's always, it's always held a, a more powerful place. And I remember when, when uh, Reggio was getting ready to do the third one, I was I'm, I was actually friends with one of the producers who was you know helping him do it, and I was like, boy, I'd really like to, I'd really like to work on that, you know, like could I get on there and get on there? I just when it came right down to it, I thought, you know what, I think it's I'm a, I think it's a little bit too close. I wouldn't want to work on it and have it be a disappointing experience, you know. <laughs> so I kind of let it go because I've I've had that situation a couple of times where I've been able to work with some of my idols and it can be heartbreaking you know because even if even if you really like the work sometimes the, you know the process of making film can be really hard it's um you know it's a very intense process so I just yeah there was a moment there where I thought oh maybe I could be a part of this and then I realized I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to be anything else but something that I can just go and experience I dodged that one maybe it was a mistake I don't know from what I've seen, a lot of people really don't like the third movie, which seems very understandable to me, considering kind of that it, the first one, as you said, it has like a very few, pure feel, and the third one is kind of the complete opposite of that. Like it has all that CGI everywhere, though that is kind of like the point, kind of contrasting technology with beautiful cinematography. Yeah, I think it's kind of, you know, the first films were, they were sobering, but they were, I think, ultimately kind of hopeful. And I think the third one was just like, was the filmmaker just saying, you know what? No, there's nothing very hopeful about any of this. So it's, it's kind of the horror installment. You know, there's really, there's no happy ending in that trilogy. So yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a challenging one. There's also similar movies like um, Baraka and Samsara, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, big fans. Yeah, those were really, really good. Yeah, Barack, I'm a big fan of. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I came up seeing a lot of when I was at NYU, you know, studying. I was lucky to be living a couple of blocks away from Anthology Film Archives, which is this amazing kind of repository of experimental film from from the kind of glory days of 50s, 60s, 70s. So I was like, because I was coming up on seeing a lot of this very experimental work. And so, you know, when I saw Koyan Scotsi, I thought, okay, this makes total sense. This is born out of this idea of pure cinema and, and um, you know, a, a totally, a wholly visual film where, you know, you're giving the audience imagery and ideas, but you're not, there's, it's not explicit at all. The audience is filling in the, filling in the rest of the, of the thing. And, and it's, it's something I can't remember who the filmmaker was talking about that, but it's the idea that the audience is a crucial part of the, of the film and the way the film works. Like, you know, you go to a Spielberg film, everybody in the audience has the exact same experience. You, everybody cries at the same time. Everyone cheers at the same time. He's a master of, you know, designing that roller coaster so that everyone has the same ride. But these more open-ended and experimental films, something like Koyana Scotsi or, you know, uh, some of the some of the great experimental, uh, you know, Stan Brackage or Peter Fram uh, Hollis Frampton, um, you know, there's great space there for the audience to kind of bring their own own interpretation into it and I find that really really wonderful and it's, it's something that a lot of my favorite filmmakers do too like um, you know even Nashville or being there they leave there's a lot of room in the story for you to kind of be thinking about ideas that are not ex explicitly talked about in the film so I like a film that's patient in that way and that you know gives trust the audience enough to give them a role in the in the storytelling really you know you're not just receiving a story but you're you're contributing to it so it's something we really tried to do in Strong Island where we were you were giving the audience images that were challenging and not not very explicit not totally explicit and then really you know, almost forcing the audience to fill in the blanks. And that's why, you know, a lot of people see that film and, they, and it's a really, really intense film to watch because you can't just phone it in. You got, you have to be a, you have to kind of participate in it, you know, in this very kind of experiential way. So that was something we really tried hard to do. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of that because it's, um, I think it's, then you get, if an audience can stick to it and can, can make it through, you've, you've got, you've created a much more impactful uh, experience, you know, for the audience. It's really powerful. So finally, where can my listeners find and connect with you? Well, um, I, uh, well, I'm here uh, in the internet. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm Alan Jack seven on Instagram and I'm around, I'm on Facebook where uh, my website is, is alanjax.com, A-L-A-N-J-A-X. And, um, you know, come make a move, come make movies together. Let's Let's make something together. Always looking for great collaborations with directors that want, you know, really strong, uh, powerful visuals. That's all for today. Don't forget you can subscribe to Kino Society on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks, Owen. Thanks.